Alright. So I'm good to go? Zero percent chance. Oh, there. There we yeah. go. There we go. Now we're cooking with gas. All right. Zero percent chance. <laughs> I knew you would do it. Why do we need this if we're sitting across the table from? I will explain watch to you. Watch why. this. Lean it to your mic. As a, profe- so, so as a you professional know, broadcaster. So I got this. I got this. All right. It's an audio thing. So you know how close or <laughs> far you are. Like this. Though? I said this. <laughs> I really just wanted you to do that. <laughs> um, if you're too far from the mic, it'll tell you because you will hear yourself. Um, also, Josh has effects. So, all right, I think we're ready to go. You guys, will, where's John? All right, I've got a hard-ish stop. Yeah, Michael's got a flight tonight. I'm going to Fayetteville, Arkansas. Where do you? Here fly- it's great this time you of fly year. Flying to Little Rock. Uh, flying into Atlanta. Literally Fayetteville. I got a straight shot there. But on the way what back, did you? coming to JFK via Dallas. Wait, there's a plane that leaves JFK and lands in Fayetteville, Laguardia, Arkansas. Yeah. What are you going for? You know what's crazy? They've gotten rid of all the unprofitable flights that only kept the most important ones. That's, I mean, that seems like how many people could be on that flight? Every time you leave New York City, the world feels so small. I mean, in a good way. I was in Boston coming <laughs> home. There was one person in front of me at security. One person. In, in what airport? Logan. Oh, okay. In it's, Logan? Yeah. It's, it's really shocking. our airport is the biggest zoo. It's just, it's a freak show. Something like 85% of all delays throughout the entire country originate in LaGuardia, JFK, yeah, and Newark. I believe that. I would believe that. Just handling bags and people. Nicole's from the South, Nicole's from the South Shore also. All right, where are you from? Long Beach. Oh, that's good if you like it. Real, that's good if you like it. That's real South Shore. Thank you very much. That's even further South than me. That's like South, South Shore. That's South, South Shore. All right, let's 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 click it up. How's my coloring? That was a very short cold open. Yeah, I'm a little bit nervous for this one, Dan. You're a little, you're like much smarter than us. I'm a little bit nervous. Michael's super intimidated. I, mean, I am intimidated. You. I wouldn't say I'm much smarter. You know, how about this? You know a lot more things. That's fine, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah, I mean that's up for debate. Would All you right. say you're one of the smartest people I know? I would say that. <laughs> <You> would. <laughs> That's your intro right there. Three quick. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's do the show. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick, and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hi, guys. I'm Josh Brown. My friend Brendan Ahern is the founder of Crane Shares, which also happens to be the sponsor of this week's episode. And I wanted to let you know one of my favorite information sources is Brendan's very good China Last Night email blast. Every night, Brendan stays up till probably, I'm guessing, 1, 2 a.m. He's got the latest headlines coming from Asia, all of the stuff that may or may not affect the next day's trading, and he puts it all together into a really great, easy-to-read summary, all the headlines you need, the backstory behind the headlines when necessary, and he's really covering everything, whether it's uh, Chinese ADRs or it's currency stuff or it's political things or trade or the U.S. dollar, 
just you name it. Brandon gets it in there. He's a very good writer, very succinct, most importantly. So I would send you to craneshares.com or chinalastnight.com to learn more. Thanks to Brandon. Thanks to Crane Shares for sponsoring the show. All right. This is a big one. This is a big one. We have one of the smartest people I know I've been informed in the house today. I've been looking forward to this episode since I begged you to do it uh, a few weeks back. Dan Greenhouse. Dan Greenhouse, ladies and gentlemen. Are you fired up? I wouldn't go far as to say I'm fired up, but I'm certainly aware that I'm here. All right. We're, <laughs> we are very fired up. Uh, I wrote a little, we wrote a little intro for you. Can I read it? Okay. Please. Dan is a male model and chief economist and strategist at Solus Alternative Asset Management, and you are a CNBC contributor. You are? I used to be. A former CNBC contributor. Sure. Okay. Solus manages $3.3 billion for institutions and family offices, specializing in event-driven, distressed, and special situation investment opportunities. It's a lot of special situations hold, these days. A lot of hold, events. Hold, Things Pro- are being driven. Go ahead. Prior special to situation Solis. right now with these armchairs. Things. <laughs> That's a special situation. Finish. Prior to Solis, Dan served as chief strategist at BTIG and Miller Tabak. Started his career at Bear Stearns in 1999. Dan Greenhouse, welcome to the show. I think I met you probably in the Miller Tabak days. Does I that sound right. about right? You and I know each other for yes, a long time. I, yeah. it feels like. Well, also like we, I think when we met, it was like, oh yeah, you're a Long Island guy working in finance. So am yeah, I. I think that's we, right. We had yeah. probably knew a lot of people. To be Jewish? No, we're the same age. Yeah, are you the same? Age? There's not a lot of no. white Long Island no. Jewish people yeah, in we finance. Not. So we really <laughs> yeah. and we bonded. Yeah. We stuck out like sore thumbs. And, and we had and, other. Joe Weisenthal was among. Joe, oh, yeah, yeah. I, oh, this? you know Joe? The last time you and I saw each other, we had dinner at Domino's in Midtown with Joe and Lynette Lopez. Domino's. Domino's, Domino's Pizza? No, it, yes, Domino's Pizza. What? Yes, there was a Domino's on like 42nd or 40-something. In New York th- City, we ate at Domino's. We were out somewhere at some event celebrating this was something. Gonna, this was during the earnings recession It was of upstairs. How drunk was I? We were all um, okay. Oh, I do remember that. I do a, remember there's that. a pizza place upstairs because you because it wasn't planned. It was like we were we were, we were somewhere. There. I was there. You were there. I was there. I was there. Okay. I why did we end up in a Domino's? I have, I don't, well, that I don't remember why. Was it Domino's? It's coming back. It wasn't Domino's. Pizzeria it could have been Uno. Pizzeruno. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have yeah, been yeah. famous. No, but it, but it was an after an event. It was thing. after. Was an it event like thing. let's all meet at Pizzeria Uno? I feel our I feel our listenership just cratering right now. Actually, it was Fridays. It was Fridays by Penn Station. No, it what, yes, it was. I wouldn't have walked in there. That's yes, how it was. It, was, it, yes, was, it was. it could have been Docs. I don't know. Be that as it may. Be that as it may. Here we are. So, all right. So, I think I, I think I, I met you back in the Miller Tayback days. So, bring us up to speed, though, because the most interesting and mysterious thing about you is that you're one. Of, you are one of the smartest people I know, and you're one of the the volume up people. You know what that means? Volume up people. See, I assume that CNBC is on mute. And- well, Bloomberg, Fox, but sure. just in general on trading floors on Wall Street, they don't have the volume on because unless there's something going that on. That's accurate. I've never walked into a client's office and had the volume on, on television. No, That's- and it's it's not out of disrespect. It's just the nature of you're working. You're on the phone. You're doing – but there are volume up people for me. You're well, one of my volume up I, people. I, I, I genuinely want to hear what you have to I'm say. I'm flattered and I appreciate that a lot. I'm, I'm genuinely happy to be here. I miss the two of you. I'm glad – that we're all together again and can Well, time enlighten. out, but now explain your disappearance. 
So you were a regular, you were a contributor. I was a contributor in the mid 2010s or whatever it's referred to. Yeah, no, you got uh, that. I moved from the sell side to the buy side to what is, what, uh, as you mentioned, Solus Alternative Asset Management. And being the buy side, you know, your, your public appearances are limited. Yeah. Uh, the last couple of, of quarters, we've sort of loosened up a little bit and I've started to peek my head out. And, and that's particularly on, on Scott Wapner's Closing Bell Show. We're all yep. up here, call it every two weeks. Scott is the best. Scott, I have nothing but the nice things to say yep. about. You recently had Bob uh, Bob Pisani on, who yep. also Bob anybody is the best who's also anybody I think involved with CNBC in any way has only the best things to say about Bob and Scott. And so, um, right. so I'm I'm happy to be there, and I'm thrilled to be here. So thank you again for having me. All right, so you have reemerged, and we're we're so happy for that. Uh, we're going to start with the fund manager survey. Michael, set this up for us. All right, there was a tweet uh, talking about the fund manager survey that comes from Bank of America. I forget who said this at Bank of America. It might have been Hart, and I can't remember said. This screams macro capitulation, investor capitulation, start of policy capitulation, meaning uh, uh, that cash levels are at the highest level since April 2001. Your thoughts? Let's see. I mean, it's, it seems pretty pronounced to me, but it hasn't worked. Like, this kind of sentiment stuff hasn't worked all year. Like, we really haven't had any meaningful reversals. Yeah, from I think when, when, when I hear people talk about capitulation, it's it's – ethereal in the sense that I don't know that there's any actionable trading strategy that you can ascertain from any of these data points. I, listen, cumulatively positioning certainly matters. Um, you can look at positioning in the in the CFTC data that comes out, the CME data, and you can surmise that people are not long equities right now. And yeah. I, I, you know, the, the fund manager survey, and for, for listeners that may not be aware, this is a real survey that a lot of people pay attention to. Um, I'm not at all surprised that cash levels are very high, but it's also to some degree telling me something I already know akin to margin debt. The market's up. There's a lot of margin margin debt. The market's down. It's coincident. When right yes. when stocks are down, cash is up, and that's why stocks are down. That's right. It's it's like it's cause and effect. We understand that. So there's not a, so there's not a lot here. What is this? What is this showing us? Similar thing from from the from manager survey. We're looking at allocation to equities and inflows, and both, as you would expect, are going down. You know, I, but I got to say, th this is there's a linear relationship between. Uh, stock prices and bearishness in the sense that obviously the lower stock prices go, the more bearish people get. And, and I am sure you encounter this in your world. In, in reality, the exact opposite should be true. When stocks are at their all-time highs, and that's not to say they can't go on to continue to make all-time highs, but when risk assets are at their highs, you're supposed to be a little more skeptical. And when the stock market's down you know, 25%, 22 yeah. today, but 25%, you're supposed to really be start starting to think about what are my one, three, five-year time horizons looking like, whether you're on the institutional side as we are, or I, I imagine on the retail side as well. You know, these are the moments when you're supposed to start lining up and even starting to, to dip your feet into the water, so to speak. But the problem with that is if you get burned doing that once, you stop. So the September low, uh, excuse me, the June low, you made a new low in September for the major averages. But that was also one of those screaming capitulation moments. John, you got that? That was also one of those screaming capitulation moments in um, when we, like June 16th when the market yeah, the made summer low. You had a bounce and then you had lower prices in September. Sure. So it's like, now, so you say to yourself, all right, I got bullish and I got burned again. I'm probably well, not going to play that game. Well, listen, I, I don't want to, you know, again, I can't speak to the to the retail investor. You guys will. Well, also, you are right now, so. <laughs> speak for the retail yeah, investor. Yeah, yeah. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but. This is not dissimilar to 2002. The market made a low in the summer of 2002 yes. after just the abysmal summer uh, that year and then went on to make a subsequent low in October. And then obviously that ended up being the low, retested in March of 2003 and off you went. Uh, but if, even if you bought at that 
at that summer low in 02 and were so to speak out of the money by by the fall a year later you were you were way up it didn't up have and, to be that the low that's right and so the, the, the table here that i brought with me is i put this on 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 twitter although nobody seems to follow me on twitter but whatever You're uh, so much better off dude uh, anyway, so, so um, much better. Off. I just okay. I just went back to 1960. Basically, that's usually my starting point since that's basically when the S and P came, in, as we know, it came into inception. Just when the market's down 25% from from a given cyclical high, how do you do going out a series of, of time frames? And and the the line item I'd want you to 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 draw your eyes to is the percentage positive line. And you can see one month later, you're up, call it two-thirds of the time. That's sort of a random occurrence since the market's generally up two-thirds of the time. But when you start going out 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, the S&P is almost always higher. You know, 20, so 24 months after the S&P falls 25% from a high, which we just did in September. That's correct. And I that think was, when, okay. the, when it wasn't, there was it's like 90, 08 and maybe 74. Hold on, 95%, oh, okay. 95 of the time you have positive returns and for the index as a whole, yeah, yeah, and the median is twenty is a twenty three percent return, which is way better than average well, over sure. any two years. And, and again, it's just basically telling you what you know, which is when your stocks are low, you want to buy. When them. Stocks are low, you want to buy. So why does everyone have so much trouble from with that, from retail to professional to institutional to consultant? It just it 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 works, it works against what we want to do psychologically. Like when we're in pain, we want less pain. And when things are going great, we don't want to leave. You know, we don't want to leave anything else on the table. Yeah, I mean, there's a huge behavioral economics uh, um, component to this. But from years of meeting with invest, I mean, listen, this is half the equation. You're supposed to buy when markets down. But when you watch, and when you watch CNBC, as, as you know, we all are on. Every oh, the market's down. You got to buy. You got to think long term. Where are all these people? Which the is the right are, advice. Though. Which is the right advice. And yeah. I know I'm looking at your your boy Nick Majuli. Yeah. Yep. Just keep buying. Just keep buying. That's good advice. Yes. You know, in theory, you should always just keep buying until it's time to retire. And I, I think from the yeah. RIA community, that's absolutely the, the the right message. On the institutional side of things, you're supposed to be advising people when you're at the top and saying, hey, you know, right. now's the time to start raising cash levels. That's always very difficult to do because of, of, of uh, career risk and underperformance. And then you start risking losing AUM. Well, there's also on the institutional side, you're being judged against something. You're being- It's the S&P. Right. If you're a retail investor doing it yourself, you don't have to report your results to anyone but your spouse, right? And yourself. Yeah. I so, think the reason why this particular moment of time does not feel so obvious, the numbers that you said are, are empirical, factual, correct. We know that. What's making this challenging, I think, is that everyone knows a recession is coming, and we're going to talk about that. And, and yet we haven't really seen the economic data turn yet. And I think investors are wary of getting too aggressive on the long side when the data hasn't even begun to really can you, soften. Can I just, before you even answer that, not that it was phrased as a question or anything, but have you ever seen anything like this no. where the, the CEOs of the largest banks in America are promising you a recession? People like Jeff Bezos are saying batten down the hatches. I don't know that anyone has a better sense of like what's going on with the consumer. The central bank chair is using the word pain regularly. They're saying pain, which is their way of saying recession for political reasons. They don't say recession. Um, they they're they're guaranteeing you they want to cause a recession. I can't remember anything ever like this before. Yeah, can you? I, no. I, and they, well, they, so so earlier this year, I went in preparation for this. I went back and watched. There was a video of me on CNBC in January, and and I wanted to look at that one because I remembered that I referred to something that you had said the day before, and and I I can't speak for everything that you said because it's quite voluminous. It's a, it's a lot. It's, it's it's just too much to handle. But um, <laughs> at that time, you had said something about. 
this is going to be bad. I, I don't, cause yeah. the next day I had come on, on the halftime report and had echoed your concerns. Cause I was pretty concerned coming into the year. I certainly didn't think we'd be down 25% by, by the middle of the year, but the fed was telling you, yeah, guys, guys pay attention. Um, what's interesting about this is historically, this is not what happens. The fed raises interest rates. The market usually keeps going up. Yeah. I mean, just think about 04 through 06 when the Fed hiked from from one percent to five and a quarter. They hiked by four hundred twenty five basis points. The market went up the whole time. Mm-hmm. And when you were supposed to sell, was when the curve inverted and the uh, the Fed uh, shifted into starting to cut. And obviously that's two thousand eight. And then when the simpler cur- times, much simpler times. So to your point about have you ever seen this before? Part of what I w- I brought that up because part of what I was saying at the time, and and I wasn't alone, but it was a smaller camp, was really all this data is completely irrelevant. Because the only thing that, uh, this is too simplistic, but but for now, the only thing that matters is the 70s, which is the last time you had an inflation level yeah. even close to, obviously, it was, it was much right. higher. How the Fed performed, how markets performed, how assets performed subsequent to that in the era of declining inflation is, to a large degree, irrelevant. And I, I guess, in, in retrospect, I guess I'm not surprised to see what's going on. But at the same time, as it's happening, it's not what's supposed to happen where, where the, the, the market— Well, with that, disinflation, the Fed is trying to keep the economy growing, regardless of the, the recessionary pressure that's coming in. The Fed's trying to fight it. This time, it's backwards. The Fed is trying to bring about a short, shallow recession to prevent a, a worse-case scenario later. So that— that's it. See, it seems almost like on American. It seems like like wait, we're all rooting for uh, job losses, lower stock prices, lower home price, but we kind of are. Yeah, I mean, well, it's not that you're rooting for uh, you're not rooting for those so much as you're rooting for lower prices. But oh, that's sh- how you get. The, that's how you get them. I, I should say prices are never coming down. Okay. If you look at the index, if you look at the price level itself, just think about the the price of a porterhouse at uh, Peter Luger's. The price of a porterhouse at Peter Luger's, a, a Wall Street staple for years. Never goes down in price. Recession proof. Recession proof. But but except, except, for, the, except for the right. pandemic when they couldn't sell any. But right. well, yes, yes. Uh, you know a pandemic is the, is obviously right. the exception. But the price level in general is not coming back down. The burger at your local restaurant that was fourteen and is now eighteen is probably not going back to fourteen. What the Fed's trying to do is just slow the rate of increase. That's right. Um, and and the 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 part of the way that you have to do that is through. Uh, tightening monetary policy and job losses, and and I know the big debate today is, is um, uh, you know how much how much of this is out of the Fed's control, so to speak. And it's true, there's a lot of this that they can't print oil wells, they can't print uh, better fiscal policy, right. if you will. Um, but but there is a demand component to this, and uh, the the Fed has looked at this, and a number of private sector in- indicators have looked at this. Subsequent, we know this story. This is not anything new. But subsequent to, to COVID, we gave everybody a bazillion dollars, a hundred different ways, and they started buying stuff because they couldn't do things. Right. And the chart we have up here is core. Um, in black, you have core services, and in and in whatever that is, orange, you have core goods. And you see that subsequent to COVID, there was a huge spike up in the price of goods. That's soccer balls. That's basketballs. That's stuff you could actually buy. Dumbbells, cars. shoes. Cars and that's that price comes back down. Those prices are starting to come down but fast, fast. Yes. And this is what this is when Jeremy Siegel goes nuts on TV, yeah. And other people echo those those sentiments. This is what they're looking at. But the flip side of services. this is the black line, which is services, which is not only apartments and rents. It's also uh, how much it costs to get your lawn mowed. And that's like the get, wages piece. And that's the wages yeah. piece. So so when so what the Fed has to do is say, okay, how much of this is supply driven? There's 
wide estimates, call it, let's just make it up and say it's 50-50. Yeah, a lot of this is supply chains, which we know have normalized. You've talked about shipping rates, the quantity of goods coming in, the number of sh ships at port, the dwell times, all of that has moved in the right direction. Yeah. Um, but the other side of this is we have an extremely tight labor market and the Fed, which is staffed by universally by economists who all took the same classes at the same schools from right. the same professors, uh, are all looking at this and saying there's there's a labor side to this that we need to untighten in order to bring down. Um, but the mechanism that the mechanism you use is the controversial part. How do you untighten the labor market? Well, you make it so that corporate profits get hit. People get thrown out of work. You knock down the value of houses so people stop spending like they're Gatsby. But this doesn't and happen you, over and you up the stock market. Corporate profits are still at all-time highs. Well, that's my point. Like, you need time for that transmission mechanism to take effect. And that's where we are. We're in the middle of that period. Dan, let me ask what you, you. What are you missing? No, I just, I, I yeah, didn't somebody, number any of my pages. I didn't, I don't know. Don't I, get to <laughs> let, me ask you, let me ask you a question. It, maybe this is wishful thinking. Because everyone seems to know or anticipate a recession coming, the market has done a lot of the work for us already. The That's Nasdaq right. fell 35%. The S&P fell 26%. Is it possible that this will be one of the only times where the bear market ends before the recession even begins? Yeah, I mean, so so we all know historically, on, on balance, the stock market usually bottoms, call it three months or so, four months before the recession ends. But what's interesting about this is you've had a, a pretty substantial decline in equity prices. The point I've made repeatedly is let's not – people our age – are accustomed to the idea that a, a real bear market is a 50% drawdown in prices. Yeah. We, we, experience we think that. we need to see the full thing. We experienced that in 2000. We experienced it in 2008, obviously a little less, a little more. But but the, the reality is when you look back historically, that's not the 1990 bear market was 20%. Um, the 62 bear market was, was I think, only about 30%. Yeah. Um, obviously, you have 74, which was also quite large. But but. 25% is a pretty substantial decline in prices. And, and to the extent that you are trying to ascertain how much is quote unquote priced in, a simple rule of thumb or a simple backward of the envelope way of doing it is, well, normally you fall 30%, 35%. We fall in 25%. Do the math. We're pricing in 70% of But here's the problem. It's where we came from. So you're not, sure. you're not, you're not falling from a normalized valuation. Like, like the 07 peak, we were probably 17 times earnings. We're falling from 24 times earnings. So it's not quite 1999, but it's also not a garden variety valuation that you're starting from. By the way, remember when we described Dan as the smartest person we know? Look at this f***ing guy. He's got yeah. papers all over the place. No, but there's like, a there's like a method here. First of all, they're not stapled. <laughs> Second of all, there's like a method here, though. I'm out. Let's, let's see what happens. No, this is genius. This the is printing, genius at work. Watch. But he has a system with John. It's yes. like a signaling it's, system. This I love is this. very. This is like Sonny and Bono. Yeah, I, I feel very comfortable just flashing. Uh, John, slide number nine hundred and fifty-four. Well, well, I've got you, babe. Am I right? Yeah. That, earlier, when we were singing it together, it, it sounded much better than it does now. But, but uh, to your point about the valuations, you can also look at this through the prism of valuations. Yeah, yeah, we have is, this up. Which is okay. So let me go through these two charts first, and then we'll Work get to valuations. Uh, first, the chart on the left is your average price decline during previous recessions. With, oh, the good. with the horizontal line on the left chart uh, at about a third. So the normal bear market is called a third. This is historically, I've included 2022 at about 25%. And you can see what, what each recession brought about in the form of lower stock prices. On the right is what happens to earnings. I've not penciled anything in for 2022 because as Michael correctly pointed out, they're basically flat. Um, but you can see historically, you talk about um, uh, EPS decline somewhere around 10 or 15% or so on average. Obviously, this is a, a relatively small sample set, but it is what we have to work with in the, in the post-1957 era. On the valuation side of things, the number's about a third as well. Valuations normally oh, compress about a third. Okay. And if you take 
15 or whatever where we are now and divided into the 22 where we were, that's about a third. We did it. So to your point, from a price standpoint, you're about average. But we haven't even had the recession yet. That's the problem. That's why people are so freaked out. We did all this work. See? We did all this work to the downside on valuation, on price. We like we did we took a lot of the excess out. We we took SPACs and recent IPOs. IPOs. We knocked stocks down 90% in some areas of the market. We've done all that. And like the shit hasn't even hit the fan yet. Yeah. And so, but before we talk about that hitting the fan, uh, I want to make a quick point here about, because you said we haven't had a recession yet. And I, I'm a little late to the conversation, although this is the first time I'm on the show. Yeah. I wanted to make a point to the viewers to think, well, what do you mean we had two quarters of GDP? We already not had a the recession. recession. Not, I agree. It's not a recession. We added 4 million jobs during that time. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it qualifies. I, I agree. And okay. it's just, just for the viewers at home, um, this is the recession in 2008. And the recession in 2001. And I would just two observational points. The first is in 2008, in the second quarter, GDP expanded by two and a half percent or so. Did it really? The second quarter of? Second quarter of 08. Oh, the economy wow. grew. Huh. Uh, consumer spending was positive. And yet no one thinks that we were not in a recession in the second quarter of 2008. So the fact that there was a positive GDP print in the middle of what is a larger recession doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Relevant. Doesn't mean anything. And in 01, an even more interesting point, find me in the 2001 recession the two quarters in a row of negative GDP. Oh shit, look at that. Wait, so so 2001, obviously we all knew we were in recession at that time. That's right. There was no debate. You had Q1 minus 1.3%, Q2 plus 2.5, Q3 minus 1.6, Q4 1.1. Yeah, we did the the, Q, the two consecutive quarters of GDP thing is dumb. We, we know that stuff. Okay, well, you yeah. should have told me that yeah. before I went off on this tangent. <laughs> no, 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 no. Good, even National good. Bureau of Economic Research is not like stuck on the two consecutive yes, quarters. Yes, I just saw, before yeah. we get into the, we already had the recession, but, I brought the slide. So, I wanted so, to use so it. So we spoke about, oh, but here's the thing, and I know market cap is not valuation. Google's still $1.3 trillion. Fine, from, but down down from 1.6. But no, down from two. Is it, was it two trillion? What, was, two, was two trillion dollars reasonable? Uh, well, not not from the lens of Listen, today. price is truth. I hear that on CNBC all the time. All right, so, so I have a little bit of a contrary take though. What if cash balances are rising and it has nothing to do with capitulation? It's just that here's a free 4% and, and never worry about anything ever again. Isn't that like, so we're looking at like, oh, everyone's in cash. Yeah, because they're getting 4%. Dude, they have to sell something to be, they're not selling cash to buy cash. Understood. But sell something that could be, that could move, that has standard deviation of 20 or 25 versus being in cash. No, it makes sense. But they are selling stocks. It makes sense. I understand. But that to me doesn't scream capitulation. If you tell me they're in cash and they're earning zero, like they were three years ago, that's capitulation. Agreed. So on this point, it's the, this this conversation about Tina and equities dead is clearly dead. But it's not just Treasuries. This is the yield on the high yield bond index in black, and the yield on the investment grade index on the right hand side, which is in, crazy in orange. You can now for the high for the IG index, which is obviously the supposedly best quality companies. The index itself yields six percent. So you forget treasuries at at four percent. You can go in and get high quality investment grade corporate bonds paying you six percent right. or so. I should have some cash and and, and right. make that adjustment. You're senior, Would, senior to the equity tranche. <laughs> you have look less. At, well, do you, you have, have CFA. L- I did Le- uh, less volatility and no. w- so that so like looking at people quote swing to cash and saying oh they're capitulating. No, they're just not stupid. And for not a ton of duration risk, we were looking at like a one to five year corporate investment grade ladder. 
with like Apple and Goldman and yeah. blue chip names at like almost 6%. Yeah, admittedly, a large portion of the IG have maturities in 2050, 2080. I mean, obviously you, you're much more but susceptible. But I was talking about the one to five. Yes, like, I'm just, still. Yes, I, you, yeah. you can, in the, and especially when you come down into high yield, high yield, you don't borrow for, here's another, for 30. Here's so, a, so, but anyway, just to button it up. So that's why I want us, I think we should be careful about looking at global portfolio managers or retail um, going into cash when you consider what they can earn in cash and understanding it's not all fear. A lot of this is just rational allocation because shit has changed. Like we're in a different situation. However, uh, this is from Rob Anderson at Ned Davis. He said, margin debt is off the record high set last year and the speed of the deleveraging suggests excessive investor pessimism, reversal from extremes, which we have not seen yet, have been followed by above average gain. Okay, we know that. Can, can Look, I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Why does this, and I don't mean this disrespectfully at all. Why? Now, now, now you got to ask, why does this matter? Margin debt. Doesn't it's been, matter. Yeah. But Look at it, no, same chart he, as the s and Same chart as it the s and It is, but here's the thing. The 15-month rate of change. The 15, look at, the, look at the, the, the red. The 15th month rate of change. I think this matters. So we're saying, so we're saying that uh, there's less speculative trading activity once the market has already fallen 20%. I don't know, and it might. I don't know that this month, 15-month rate of change matches up perfectly with, with the S&P. It could. It very well could. I, I think we're saying the same things. I generally have found margin debt to be like the most coincident indicator yeah. of all coincident indicators. Well, yeah. listen, it, I it, think it's bullshit on the way up. trading volume, by the way. When is trading volume at its peak? Uh, what I always say, um, and you know what else? Oh, yeah, but the price of gold. The stock market's up, but gold. Yeah. This was the whole thing. I always, my mom never opens up her Schwab or TD Ameritrade statement and says, oh my God, I was up or down, but did you see gold? That, no. Or, oh yeah, but I mean, margin debt is up, so I really better be careful about these gains. I find that to be yeah. um, an irrelevant metric in the larger scheme, either of analyzing the market and, and doing You know what margin debt is great for? It's great for Twitter. It's content. It's good content. It's really good. It's, <laughs> is it good content? <laughs> well, no. It's great for alarmist Twitter because that's the thing. Yeah. Oh. Because it always looks like this is a this is a maniac bubble. It's about to burst. It's like, oh no, it probably will rise with the market, and then when the market falls, it'll fall Are off. Are those and, people also tweeting about the amount of debt outstanding at the federal government? Yes, of course. Oh, and, for and sure. our unfunded it's pension liabilities. It's in the same playlist. It's, Josh, it's, what are the what's this Bank of America stuff? Wait, hold on. We didn't do this number of times. Uh, I thought we could skip mentioned. over. That's okay. It's okay. Well, let's do it anyway. Right. Do we Tom have John? Do Tom Serafagas from from Bloomberg. Plot of the S&P 500 with number of times capitulations mentioned. I'm guessing Bloomberg is scanning all the news articles. And yeah, wait, wait. How many how many times capitulations mentioned in their own articles? No, no I'm all saying right, in, in, no, in all, no, I'm saying in all articles. Okay, but I agree that you don't. You don't need to nail the bottom to know that this is a good buying opportunity, right? Like, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. And when equities are off 25%, can they go down 40? Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. I mean, the risk that you run into is you buy at the in October of 1929, and it takes you 54 years to get your well, in real terms. If that's what ends up terms. happening, though, like what? Yeah. All right. So this is uh, the story count for the search term capitulation. And it's what actually way off. Wait, the I can't, is this a bullish or bearish divergence? I don't even know what we're looking at. I'm going to go ahead and buy on this because it was higher in June than it is today. So <laughs> I, is there apathy? I don't know. Can you imagine like this is your trading model? No, just apply apply to in twenty. I would <laughs> file this in the same cabinet with margin debt. All right. I, I like when we can. Can I tell you something? We talk to a lot of people who are always adding new things. I like people that are like throw that out, throw that out, throw that out. That, to me, that's more valuable I these operate days. under the assumption that there are cameras on right now on us. There are. And why would I want that to stop 
and show a chart of something unless it's of particular Agreed. relevance. Agree. We shouldn't take- keep it rolling. Josh, I, this, no, this, there's some good stuff in here. What's this? I feel very strongly that the viewers want more of us. <laughs> uh, this is from Bank of America. I like their stuff a lot. And uh, John, we're going to go to this uh, B of A data analytics. Bas- basically, this is more on. This is just more on positioning and specific. Specifically, here. Let me. Let me. Let me set this up. Surprisingly, though, this angst is not reflected in positioning data. Global equities have accumulated inflows, not outflows, of USD $169 billion year to date. Nice. ETF inflows $417 billion, more than eclipsing the redemptions from active funds, um, which is minus $248 billion. Trends are similar across client categories, hedge funds, institutional, private, corporate. Everybody is a net buyer of U.S. stocks over the last three months, all categories. Um, active U.S. household investors, which they call the $40 trillion whale in the equity markets, have still not sold enough to reverse the $4.2 trillion of inflows registered in the last two years. So in other words, everyone's bearish. Everyone knows a recession is coming, but no one's actually selling. In fact, we have a stock market down 20-something billion dollars, uh, 20-something percent, and net positive inflows of over $100 billion. What do you make of that? I don't— um there's no so there's no signal there for you. I guess you can't call it capitulation is the main. I guess you can't call it capitulation if people keep. But but, but again, I don't know why I, I, I'm searching for capitulation. From my standpoint, there are many other things that you would want to focus on to determine whether there's a quote unquote bottom or a better buying opportunity than some. You don't a, need actual com- capitulation um, to to make that. No, and I, I wonder. Thinking out loud here, as we're talking, what the origin of the need for capitulation is. I guess. You know, I think it's looking, muscle memory. Looking back on it, March 09 was capitulation in the sense that people were like literally jumping out of a window when you made new lows. Yeah. And I imagine it was the same in, in 74 at that bottom, which was um, cataclysmic if you read the news reports at the time. But I don't know that – what is? what do I need? We could end in apathy. Why not? Why not? Uh, something this big, I feel like it would be tough. Something what big? Something as big as this, a, a regime change from 40 years of declining interest rates that all of a sudden makes this hard turn to where the Fed is no longer your fr- – like it just feels like it's too big of a moment to end in apathy, although I submit that some bear markets have ended in apathy. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I, I also would add – I think you just touched on something that we haven't spoken about yet and is probably the the most important item for any listener or for us to – Two-year? This is a two-year yield? Is that where you're going? Um, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. Um, now my train of thought is completely <laughs> – go to commercial. I, um, <laughs> no, I, you just touched on something yeah. that I, is the most important thing for people to be thinking about and I would argue for you guys to be talking about, which is the regime change from 30 years of declining interest rates, 30 years of, of China exporting deflation, yeah. and what the next 10, 20, 30 years are going to look like. Because that decline in interest rates, the two-year, um, has underpinned – not exclusively because this is the, the stock market and risk assets are largely about earnings, but has underpinned the valuation expansion that we've experienced from the single digits in the 1982 to the peaks in 2000 yes. and now. Yes. And what does the next 10 and 15 year investment landscape look like if you don't have that much of a of, a, of an underpinning, so to speak? And the Fed's, I think, to some degree, the Fed is on. Uh, I mean, to a lot of degrees, but. But the idea that you want to get inflation under control, you talked earlier about how this is like not something you want to do, put people out of work, and obviously you don't. But the the battle against inflation 
to not over-dramatize it, but to completely over-dramatize it, is the, is, is the story of the day, is the battle of the moment. Because if you don't win that battle, everything else is subordinate to it because you're going to have to come back later. And yeah. the resulting decline in valuations is going to take – I mean, we're all talking about three to 3,500 as some sort of a bottom. That's going to be, uh, you know, a, a wishful thinking if the but Fed doesn't the get necessi- this right the first time. But that is the necessity of the recession. We've never had inflation spike above 5% and fix it with anything other than recession. So that's the that's the necessity of it. Let me, and it's ugly, but it's true. Yeah, let me just – so you, we've never had inflation above – Four percent and an unemployment rate, or inflation above five percent and an unemployment rate under four percent solved without a recession. That's correct. That is so, and that was my no argument choice. at the start of the Dan, year. I like, apologize for cutting you off, but you were talking about interest rates, so I'm not sorry. So I was right. The two year is at four six. <laughs> okay, no, that's if that's how you feel. That's I appreciate it. And the ten year yeah. is at four two. They're just going vertical. So maybe, maybe you could say, listen, stocks were maybe appropriately over, appropriately overvalued for a zero percent interest rate world. Now that's no longer the case. And even though multiples came down 25%, they could still have a lot longer to go. Yeah, no, I think, listen, I, I, should should stocks be trading at 20, 20-something times earnings with interest rates at zero and a pretty good growth environment, friendly energy, blah, 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 blah? The answer is probably yes. Um, because what, what are multiples? They are confidence. Vibes. Um, they're, I've, I heard something Kyla's about vibes yeah, on what yeah. – oh, the, the, yeah, the, the, the TikTok. She popularized uh, vibes. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. They're vibes. It's how we feel. It's another it's, way of saying sentiment. I mean, listen, there it's are – there. you can model out what – you know, one of my problems with people on CNBC is they will just slap a 12 multiple – like there's a reason why the market multiple sometimes is what it is. Well, it's as yeah. unpredictable as the, as anything else. No, that's right. But you can – you can. it's – well, listen, there are – it's it's for sure, but – it's inflation, it's inflation volatility, it's interest rates, it's positioning. But but yes, it's as, as unpredictable as anything else. But in a pre-COVID environment, a, a, a 20 multiple is, is perfectly reasonable. Right. Now, obviously, um, is the right multiple 12, 14, uh, you know, you have no idea. And this is, again, going to be something of a battle right. because the idea that we're going we're gonna to go higher because the multiple is then going to subsequently expand from, call it 14 times or 15 times forward, to 18 times, I, you know, that's not happening. You've got to hire a multiple throughout the 20-teens decade because the Fed was in a position to rescue the stock market anytime it got into trouble. What happened in late 2018 was the latest example. And that was actually the example that I think really converted everyone. Like, this is just an upside. Because when the Fed did its pivot and they go from, I don't know, 2.5% interest rates back down to one75 because the S&P fell 20%. He said- in- That was just like 2019, you you then got a year with a VIX of like eight and uh, 30% returns to the S&P because that's the moment all the people that had been fighting the Fed and fighting all the QE programs, that's when they said, you know what? Actually, they didn't say this out loud. I'm wrong. Valuation doesn't matter. Just buy the best stocks and shut the hell up. And like that was the regime prior to COVID. We're not ever going back to that, or at least not in the next not five the, or 10 years. Not in the Because the Fed can't save the stock market anymore. And as a matter of fact, right now, one of the guys is saying, uh, I was happy to see the stock market down. Kashkari. Uh, Kashkari. So, so it's a totally different world. So I agree with you. That's what's changed. What does that mean for multiples? Well, it means kiss 20 goodbye. I don't know if it means we can't have 16, but I don't think that we should expect them better. So now it really becomes more about fundamentals. So t- two points. One, Fed members really should stop talking oh, so God. much. Oh, God. Cosign. I, I, I'm, I'm, Cosign. Please. I'm I wish they would stop. I'm fine with, with 
uh, increasing your your open mouth operation, so to speak. But it's it's oh. No, I'm with you. I was not aware we were in front of a live studio. I, I'm with you. I wanted to stop too. I wish they would shut up. Uh, it's it's well, I don't even mind. It's but it's the repetitiveness and the volume is is yeah. a little much. What's the likelihood uh, that that happens? Zero. Zero percent chance. Look, look at you. Zero. Zero point zero. I think they're feeling themselves. Wait, Dan was making two points. What's the other? I've point? not forgotten. Okay. But well, the, let me ask the you audience this. applause just totally threw me off. We've we sorry we've we've spoken about the VIX repeatedly over the last few weeks. Why isn't the VIX going up? Right now, the S&P 500, it is Thursday at 340. The S&P 500 is down 1% on the day. The VIX is also down 1%. Uh, it's at 30. Why is the VIX not telling us what we think it should be telling well, us? Well, uh, listen, let me, let me ask you this. Where should the VIX be? 40? Why have we not seen a single spike well, have you, above, it, above, say, 35? Is there an event that warranted a spike? Perhaps last Thursday? Could, when you look historically, I mean, the VIX was 20 pre-Lehman. Yeah. That's true. That's a good point. The stock market was down 20% on the, I think, the Friday before Lehman. You weren't down, and I I know this because of the 25% table from before. The stock market was down 20% pre-Lehman in in mid-September, call it. VIX was 22. And then Lehman happened, and there you go. And in the 2000s, I think it's something similar. I mean, when you look in the 2010s, which I'm much more familiar with, the only real spikes were... Uh, in 2010, when when Spain was downgraded and everyone realized this wasn't yeah. just a Greek problem, then you had 2011 with the debt ceiling. 15. You had 2015 with the China those devalu. Were, those were events. Those were those moments. Were those. That's how you get. Them. Listen, I'm no Vol and Vix expert. You, you can bring on on someone else, but um, that's how you get those spikes. Otherwise, you've had, for lack of a better word, an orderly decline in stock prices. That granted has gone on for 10 months, but where in there would you need the type of hedging activity or exogenous event that would warrant a, a, a 40 VIX. I, you know, based on the last 15 years of data, I would argue that, Do you that think, it's unwarranted. So I think if we're going to have it, it's going to come from one of two things. It's going to be something to do with the dollar or the treasury market. I don't think there's anything with stocks that could unnerve us to that degree right now. So I think it's going to be something to do with the treasury market, some kind of blow up, um, or it'll be geopolitical and who the hell could predict so speaking that. Of the, speaking of the treasury market, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but um, the treasury department is on the verge of doing a treasury buyback. Are you aware of this? Wait, yes, but they're going to call it something else. They're, they're not going to call it monetization or anything it's, like well, that. Well, it's not, it's not – I mean I guess we can get into the semantics. Yeah. So, so th- one of the biggest stories that I don't think gets nearly enough play on television or I assume among your viewers – is the illiquidity in the treasury market, which has risen to such a degree that Janet Yellen is talking about it. Yeah. And she's doing it, and um, other people are doing it because they are uh, they have already, they, the Treasury Department, has already basically surveyed the primary dealers and said, hey, you know, what's going on with this liquidity? Would it help if I came in and bought back my own debt? Yeah. And basically they have foamed the runway, so to speak, that by sometime uh, later this year or early next year, they're probably going to introduce a program where they're going to start stepping in and buying off-the-run treasuries. Because who else? Who else is going to do it? Who's Who can buy in the size necessary to affect that market other than us? The banks. But they're not. They're but they're not, not that because way. of the regulatory regime that's, that, right. that's been in place. We kicked them out of that game. Uh, large. So, so basically the banks, whenever they do any risk-taking activity, however de minimis it might be, you have to, you expand your balance sheet. You have to segregate capital. So even holding treasuries and reserves is is a limiting activity for the banks. Well, this is welcome news. Treasury bonds, the well, ETF has gone down for 12 consecutive weeks. Oh, okay. So well, what do you think of the ramifications of that if they if they say, okay, we're starting this, stepping in? We're starting this program. Does the market like it? Or does the market say, what don't we know? And they get- should start an ETF. I buy it. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the short, if you ask the treasury guys, they'll tell you it's, you know, it's good news. It's not as good. It's not the, the best answer. The best answer is something yeah. on the regulatory front, but you're not going to get that. 
Um, so the treasury guys will tell you it's probably good news. When equity guys start waking up to to these headlines, I think the initial reaction is going to probably be what's going on in the treasury market. That that, that would be my reaction. Why Just, are they buying back their own remember debt? Remember Mnuchin wait, in 2018? in treasuries? Wait a minute. Mnuchin said, don't worry out of nowhere. I spoke to the biggest bank CEOs in the nation. They say liquidity is fine. Everybody's like, wait, what the f*** are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. And why, stocks why we even, the next day. Why are we even talking <laughs> it's, about uh, that? It's Alan Schwartz going on TV saying, uh, you know, Bear Stearns liquidity is fine like two days yeah, before. Yeah, but Dan, like this is a bigger story because uh, the financial markets just ousted the prime minister of the UK like today. Like, well, I'm saying yeah, oil I'm, prices and dollar prices are now basically acting as – the predominant forces in a lot of things that maybe they weren't even six months ago. Like, what do you make of – this is a prime minister now with the shortest tenure in the history of England. The the big joke on Twitter, I think, was would she last longer than a head of lettuce? And she did not. And Yes. And, the other one I saw was the Airbnb logo on 10 Downing Street. OK. But whatever. So she – but she basically got kicked out of her job by the financial markets. That's – yeah, I, I can go with that. Um, listen, I, oil prices are – we haven't touched on them yet. Um, this is a really big... Wait, before we do that, John, can you give me this Joe Biden thing? Are you able to do that? Yeah, okay. How right or wrong... Uh, we're going to play the president talking about whether or not we have an economic problem. I, like, sort of agree with this. What kind of ice cream do you think he was eating? Uh, pecan. Butter such, pecan. I mean, he's such a Rocky Road, with the ice maybe. cream cone. Do we have audio, though? I Rocky Road. No, it's, it's like vanilla. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's do that again. Proceed. <laughs> if it's not gonna work, it's okay. We'll put it in post. <laughs> Look at this. Look at that pose. Uh, it's not gonna work. All right, Joel. We would have said, just read it. Just He's read not it. concerned about the dollar. Yeah, do He's Biden concerned voice. about do the rest voice. of the world. Do Biden voice. He's basically saying the reason there's an economic problem is because of how strong the United States is, and that I'm everyone sorry else. Interrupt. We have to take the picture of him eating the ice cream <laughs> off the screen. It, no, I'm going to leave that out up there for, for the for the. For the I, I have ADD, and I just I cannot concentrate. All right, get him off. <laughs> he he made this he made this like not completely out to lunch idiotic point while eating the most enormous waffle cone for the last. <laughs> um, but it, like actually was not the worst point, which is that no 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 we don't have a problem. Everyone else has a problem. Is it is it that simple? Well, the dollar is our currency and and the world's problem. Yeah, um, I would I would I would add the strength in the dollar on a year over year basis. Let's call it is is about as extended as it it's ever. It's remarkable, gets. right? It's, it's remarkable is the, the right word. The problem with that is historically when the dollar gets this strong, things start to go wrong. I, I wouldn't put the UK in that basket because I think the UK is a very idiosyncratic. She announced incredibly appealing supply-side reforms at a moment that maybe the market didn't want incredibly yeah. appealing supply-side reforms. I think it's probably a safe way to, to describe what happened. But the dollar doing what it's doing is invariably going to lead to – and I think you talked about this on TV today. I listened uh, in preparation for this. Very astutely, I might add. Yeah, I, and correctly, I would. Um, things start to happen. Well, listen, that are, uh, Nike just told us they missed out on $4 billion worth of sales this quarter Procter because of the dollar. Procter and Gamble. Think about how much money that is. It's hundreds of billions of dollars in any number. I mean, you don't think Microsoft is going to talk about that? It is a major. They've been. Right, right, right. Um, but besides the translation effect, which is purely an earnings thing, I mean, but, but I mean, the primary way people talk about the dollars through trade. 
well, yeah. the strong dollar, it's good. It holds down inflation at home because it makes imports more appealing. It gives us more buying power for stuff that we're but buying I, elsewhere. You know, the flaw in that argument is most trade around the world is invoiced in dollars already. So it's not exactly the— And U.S. households are not doing cross-border business. <laughs> no, there's not— <laughs> Like maybe Chinese stuff on eBay, but— There's not—I mean, you, right. yes, I'll defer to Visa on cross-border transaction volume, but right. but yes. But but listen, imports are held down in price, all else equal. Um, but, but again, I, th- I forget the exact number. It's 80 or 85 percent of global trade is already invoiced in dollars. Yeah. So my, my issue with the dollar is that we don't know the ramifications of running up the dollar's value. Not that we did it on purpose. The dollar running up in value versus everything else as quickly as it did. We know that there are 40 or 50 emerging market countries, sure. all of whom are now, many of whom, if they're not like oil kleptocracies, they owe a lot of money in dollar-denominated debt, and this makes it really hard for them to yeah, pay it back. You, you can segregate you the start countries. that chain reaction. Yeah. So, so maybe less important, but just getting back to earnings, Netflix said, for Q4 2022, we're expecting revenue of $7.8 billion, with a sequential decline entirely due to the continued strengthening of the U.S. dollar for other currencies. So if we're not trading at 20-plus times earnings and we're trading at 15, 16 with this as a headwind, like where does that get us on the S&P? But from a valuation, from an analytical standpoint, you don't get any credit for the dollar. I mean, there's always questions, why don't companies hedge their currency exposure? Because you get no credit if you get it right and you get dinged when you get it wrong. Yeah. Um, and and th- these things comes in wa- come in waves. I mean, we, we the last time the dollar rallied, it was a big story, Microsoft and, and Nike and all the Starbucks. It's, it's, it's what everyone focuses on. And I brought up Procter & Gamble because they just reported their number was like six percentage points lower than it otherwise would have been just because of the dollar. Right. Um, so you think uh, investors will well, pass no, that? Well, Wall, oh, Wall Street says, all right, we'll get it back on the other side. But yeah. but the bigger story is what does this do to the global financial system? Like we're, we're congratulating ourselves. Look, the Fed did 400-something basis points of spoken rate hikes so far. They'll probably get there. So far, nothing's blown up. Okay, that's great. What happens in 23, a lot of stuff has to get repriced, and there's a lot of dollar-denominated debt around the world um, that is now way harder to be paid. Yeah, back. and believe me, the EM guys have a Excel spreadsheet, and in in you know in column A is every country, and column B are countries with large current account deficits and and high levels of external debt servicing needs. I mean, that's not um, going to creep up on anybody, that's for sure. My my point about the dollar. And then I said it already, but I'll repeat it: is whenever it gets this strong, things start to break. I don't know, you know. To where point- would you look? Where would you look for for something that you think might be of note to investors in that regard? Emerging market countries with large current account deficits and lo- and high levels of external financing needs. Like, is it, would- it always Argentina? Who's always the one? I mean, Arge- I mean, Argentina and Greece are in some stage of default, like you know, seventy five percent of the time in, in their in their entire history, something like that. I think the market would yawn it at Greece, but I don't think the market would yawn at some shit in Asia going wrong. Yeah, I mean, listen, because it's not an individual. I mean, listen, we've we lived through Mexico and Orange County in ninety four. Argentina again has defaulted. I mean, from the U.S. equity standpoint, when is that? No. ever really mattered. I mean, the U.S. has never gone into recession because the world has gone into recession. Uh, if you think about the Tohoku earthquake that knocked out the global supply chain, you know, growth slowed a little bit, but we didn't have a recession here. Um, we're largely impervious. We're, we're what you might call a closed economy in that sense. I mean, we're not, I don't want to say we're impervious, but we're largely impervious to a lot of these. So you're not um, like in your meetings, the people you're talking about, you're not really worried so much about like systemic stuff at this moment. There's nothing really out there. Listen, I mean, the beauty of, of, We'll play this back to you when, uh, <laughs> yeah, listen. when the, the, the British pound did goes to zero. Did they just say everything – were in the clear? Yeah, I mean, believe he me. You impervious. <laughs> hey, Duncan, let's let's timestamp that. Okay. <laughs> Duncan, don't, don't be afraid to not timestamp it. 
Um, no, I'm not saying, it's not that I'm saying everything's okay. It's that, the, you know, in, in 2008, there was so clearly something going on under the hood. Nobody knew, I mean, I shouldn't say nobody because a couple of people went on TV and like walked it right through, but something was wrong. You didn't Hashtag know what. Barry Ritholtz. Well, I mean, you know. Barry was not totally, and, but yeah. I don't know if we discussed it. That's when I met Barry. He started letting me be a contributor to the blog because I knew Peter Bookvar, who I worked with yeah. um, back in Miller Tayback. Yeah. Um, so I know Barry since since the mid aughts. Mid aughts. I can't call it. It's, that feels weird. I don't know what that means. hell's an aught. What is an aught? I'm zeros. not sure where it came up with. An aughts or zeros. Is that Latin? That's where it comes from. Is that Latin? No. Dan, is it is it possible <laughs> that we? That was quite cares? a quite <laughs> a pivot. Shit. Aughts. Uh, can we avoid a recession, which economists seem to think is like sixty plus percent chance of that? Can we avoid a recession and stocks still aren't cheap? The short answer is yes. You can avoid a recession. The Longer, correct answer is no. Um, I just find it hard to believe that you are going to tighten policy by this much, right. this, this dramatically. Much. I mean, listen, the, the, let's look at the housing market. So what's taking so long? Uh, this chart. Because <laughs> initial claims today still on the basement. This idea of labor hoarding, by the way. Uh, Do you buy it? Through the prism of jobless claims, yeah, but that still doesn't mean I should be adding 280,000 jobs a month. I mean, there's two different conversations mm. here. Labor hoarding means I'm not firing them, but continuously hiring people is a whole other conversation. Yeah. This chart, which I think you guys know about, yes. is fine. For the view, for viewers this or listeners. Still, this is crazy, crazy. To me, What I've done we is I- just spoke I've, about this. The Bank, the bank of America earnings yeah. this. Hey, guys, there are people Sorry. listening who can't see the chart. Oh, yeah, Let yeah. me explain it. Explain the chart. So, so for people who cannot see the chart, this is checkable deposits by wealth cohort in the U.S. banking system. And what I've done is I've rebased it to 100 around COVID, right at the end of COVID there. And what, oh, you, what this shows you is that checkable deposits held by the, the richest 10% of the country is up almost 300% now as compared to the, basically at the end of COVID. And even the lowest percentage, the 50, I'm sorry, 90 to the bottom 50. 12 yeah, you're right. Yeah, the bottom. Yeah. Yes. Uh, did I include the bottom? Yes. Yeah, the yeah. Blue, blue, blue. Blue. Yeah, my boy. Oh, blue. yes. There we go. Blue. Yes. Even the lowest banked customers. So 3X. Yes. Have seen a, a, a meaningful. So when you say why hasn't happened yet, there's a lot of money on, on still household balance sheets. There's a lot of money on corporate balance sheets. And ironically, that which caused the inflation, mm. all the money we gave everybody is somehow prevent, somehow is not the right word, but is also preventing the recession from taking So we've been saying degree. this, but those, we didn't connect those dots. That is a very interesting, ironic observation. We've been saying for the whole year that the consumer and the corporation, because they hoarded on debt in 21, have never been better prepared to, to withstand the recession. Now, all of this excess, if it goes on, will burn off, obviously. But yes. maybe, but that's but why it's, it's taking so long. still a trillion above it's still a trillion above where it was in 2019. What is? There's a trillion in excess uh, deposits or uh, savings at banks. Yeah, I'm not sure I believe all the data that everyone does. All the banks- I don't even know how they calculate it, but- It's how much did income grow in a given month relative to where it should have been. Assuming directionally it's accurate, people have more uh, firepower at their disposal than, um, than you might have thought. And that's what prevents uh, uh, the consumer from rolling over. And that's 70% of your And economy. that works for now. A yeah. lot of things work when the unemployment rate is 3.5%. When the unemployment rate is 45 and 5%, this conversation is going to be a little different. Uh, All right, totally let's move agree. on. Let's get to earnings. Okay. Uh, Bespoke tweeted yesterday, 35 earnings reports so far this season through yesterday morning. 71% beat rate on both EPS and sales. 9% raised guidance, 3% lowered. Actually, that's pretty good. I know it's early, but uh, average one-day share price reaction, whatever, uh, up 27 basis points. We'll take it. Um I want to highlight, because J.B. Huntress reported, but this guy did a thread on trucking, 
And it was just the absolute perfect example of how COVID really f***ed everything up and particularly made supply, demand, imbalances go absolutely ballistic. So what this dude basically said, if I could sum it up, is that uh, trucking is capacity constrained. And when there was so much demand, a lot of capacity came on the market. And now at the same time as demand is collapsing, trucking earnings are in for a world of hurt coming into the early 2023 time well, period. Night, Night Swift told you that uh, last night they reported or this morning, I don't remember, but Night Swift bas basically told you that. Um, J.B. Hunt was a little better, but but Night but Swift- they said inventories are high, you know, like they, I, th I think- But, but again, this is just emblematic. But this is a derivative of the good services story that that you guys are well aware about and that we talked about. Like, like the economy is shifting. Uh, and I know this is repetitive and we all know this, but it, it bears repeating. The economy is shifting away from basketballs and, and grills uh, towards Fayetteville, uh, towards airline trips but to this, Fayetteville. This, but this is the, you know, this is like the goat in the python and you're just watching it work its way through. And it's it makes a stop everywhere. And like all the data that you would normally look at and be like, oh, it's a contraction. Oh, it's an expansion. Just throw it out because it's so aberrant. I, I have I'm perfectly comfortable with the statement that, and I am solidly middle aged in in Wall Street terms, or I guess even maybe. Speak, this for, is, speak for yourself. We're the same age. I know, but still, <laughs> we're uh, this is as confusing. You were born on the same day, but if you're not same hospital, I, I know it's crazy. Wait, if you're not comparing things to 2019, then just stop talking. Like that's my that, when I hear somebody say, uh -huh. no, "Hold on," somebody's like, "Oh." It, this is collapsing relative to fucking what? 2021? Does he, he always just, say he that? from Chicago. Like, is that, your, is that your benchmark? What do you mean collapsing? Like, one of the funniest things. Give it to me versus 19 or stop talking. So two things. One, one of the funniest things Family Guy ever did was the Quill Whipple oh, episode. Oh, that was great. Yeah, um, yeah. The Stewie. Yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. Uh, when we go through companies, we have we have two PMs that basically have final say on everything. Every conversation. It's Arkansas. Your flight is delayed. Put your phone down. God. Every conversation is. He's like, is this the show? He can't believe it. What kind of <laughs> romper room? Um, this is the show. Every conversation is, yeah, but what am I? What's my EBITDA relative to 2019? What's my yeah. revenue relative? To, everything after that is an irrelevancy. But it's crazy. It's crazy land. None of the, none of those stats should be compared to or relied upon. I'm with you on that. But, Making but, matters more confusing is that not every company or every industry, or every sector is saying the same thing. You have companies, Tesla, for example, and Elon might be full of shit. But what he did say was in the most recent earnings uh, this week, I can't emphasize enough. We have excellent demand for Q4 and we expect to sell every car that we make for as far into the future as we can see. So, okay, maybe of course he's going to say that, but your thoughts on some companies being in wonderful positions right now. The, the best advice I can give and I do give to any younger person who's listening or meets with me or whatever is read every conference call transcript or listen to every conference call you can possibly get your hands on. Yes, it's cheerleading and, and you have to sort through the very esoteric semiconductor nanometer particulars that, that are irrelevant to you. But listening to what companies have to say is, is, is terrific insight. Why do you think that's so helpful for, uh, for investors? What do they get out of that that they wouldn't get out of like reading newspapers or whatever? I agree the, with you. The but. level of detail you get on, on companies themselves and industries is incomparable. You can't read a Wall Street Journal article and get the detail that management's going to give you. Now, that's that's true to varying degrees. And the believability, obviously, you have to take it with a grain of salt because, again, their job is in all public appearances to be as – as uh, Yeah, but also abulia. listening to them, they're, they're, the inflection or the tone. Let me tell you something about inflection and tone. Whatever – the Mario Draghi, whatever it takes speech, if you read 
what he says. He says, we're going to do whatever it takes. Fine. When you listen to what he said, and this was my, at the time when I was at, at BTIG, this was my number this one point. This was 2012. This was 2012. When they're about to embark upon Euro, Euro Saving style Europe. Yeah. He gave a speech and he said, we're going to, we're going to do a lot and it's going to, um, he said, oh man, now I'm screwing up the story, but he, he said, we're going to do whatever it takes. Paused. He said, we're going to do whatever it takes. And believe me, it'll be enough. And the way that, that he said it- That was at Jackson it, Hole, right? I don't remember where it was. It was okay. probably Jackson Hole. But the way that he said it was so informative to me. Yeah. The, the pause for emphasis, it was, it was, it was quite good. So, so you, you know, reading stuff is, is one thing. Listening to it is another. But um, to, just to, to, to make the point, when you listen to what companies have to say, whether it's Procter & Gamble or, or Coca-Cola or even Nike, they are not telling me, and again, you have to take it with a grain of salt, but they are not telling me that there is some large-scale- demand problem. The problem I have with corporate earnings so far is that pricing is up like six, seven, eight, nine percent and volumes are all down for the goods companies. And that's not sustainable. And the company and the, the volumes are all down one or two percent. And, and I think at some point that will. Well, the problem that presents for the S&P 500 is that most of the earnings are coming from goods, not services. In the S&P. Yeah. And the, the, the irony for this is for the economy as a whole. One. Most of the economy is service-oriented, right. like 85, 86% well, of all so jobs. So that's interesting. That's a very big dichotomy. The S&P 500's earnings are coming from iPhones and and cars and uh, pharmaceuticals, like actual things. Um, but the economy itself is coming from, hey, I just gave my personal trainer $80 for this morning session. And, you know, my my uh, my kid's nanny is coming over late. Like, that's the real economy that Travel. we live in. Josh, Elon was asked by, by an analyst about, like, a superstructure – if Tesla, they 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 got uh, would, would they buy SpaceX and they're like because what do they buy? They bought a Solar City, right? Yeah. Yes. And he said, I'm not an investor. I'm an engineer and a manufacturing person and a technologist. So I actually work and design and develop products. That's what I do. So it's not. He's like he basically said we're not going to have a portfolio like uh, like Berkshire. So they were asking him like, why don't you buy more companies? Or well, they, I become... think they said like, are, is, is, is oh, Tesla going to buy? We, okay. You spoke about this. Tesla going to buy Twitter? He said it's no. Still, it's still One thing happen. he said that was pretty interesting. Several years ago, I said, I think on our earnings call, and I thought it was possible for Tesla to be worth more than Apple. In fact, I see a potential path for Tesla to be worth more than Apple and Saudi Aramco combined. Which implies $4 trillion in market cap. That's uh, belief. That's that's confidence. When you hear stuff like that, what, what's your reaction? I, I Str Strong no opinion. Strong uh, no opinion. I'm with, I'm with you. Uh, I, th I, thought, uh, I thought it was cool that on the company slides – he has himself listed as still techno king and CEO. I mean, he's he's entertaining if nothing else. He makes it um, hard not to pay attention. But listen, if you're a CEO, it's no different than anyone having confidence in anything else. When R.J. Barrett says, uh, you know, I'm the, the best did, basketball Did you watch player. last night? Of course I watched. <sighs> that was rough. Yeah. Three for 18. Rough, end, rough ending. But that's Great a, game. But he, he, was, are, he was horrible. He was so bad. Grizzlies we'll are a real yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't fault him. He should. Every company should be like, I should be as big as Apple. Um, okay. Alcoa. Uh, reported. And remember earlier in the year, materials was like the hottest thing. Sure. Alcoa was up 60% year to date through March. It's now down 30% on the year, which is a remarkable year to date swing. That high, that high low up 60 to down 30 is, and this is like not a tech stock. This is like aluminum. So their revenue, uh, they said total third party revenue decreased 22% sequentially to two point, whatever. Uh, they cited alumina and aluminum prices. Did you know that alumina was a thing? What, what yeah. was it? It's a female version of aluminum. <laughs> How did you not know that? 
Did you not take any biology class? So at all? I tried. I started to go down this rabbit hole of, of Alcoa's earnings report. And I'm this is like CFA level nine shit. It's like 180 pages. There's like it's there's chemicals. This is way beyond my pay grade. But what I wanted to highlight was this: they generated 134 million dollars in cash from operations. They repurchased 150 million dollars worth of common stock, and they paid a fourth. They paid a dividend of 18 million. They know who their investors are, I guess. This is going to be a bigger story, though. A lot of the buybacks, the 2021 vintage are looking really stupid right now. I want to get your take on this overall. It's not a pro or con buyback discussion. Here's Meta. This is from Barron's. Meta spent $48 billion and bought back 158 million shares, which was 6% of the stock outstanding. They spent an average price $304 a share over the last four quarters. So they effectively overpaid by $27 billion based on the current share price, which is now down 60% this year. It's 133. Think about what Meta shareholders could have done with that uh, with that 27 billion not lit on fire. And some of the problems plaguing Meta now about burn rate from Meta investment. Uh, there are going to be a lot of these buybacks that look really stupid in hindsight, yeah? Yeah. I, well, listen, I am generally in favor of companies returning cash to shareholders as much uh, as possible. But always, at all times, if no you, matter the price? What can you do better with with money than I can do better for myself? So uh, listen, I don't know that a buyback is necessarily, uh, you know, we can have a debate about whether a buyback is is better than a dividend or just paying a special dividend every once in a while. It's a, ta- it's a tax debate, really. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. from a capital structure standpoint, obviously. Yeah. It's, and, and also remember from a valuation perspective, this sort of gets lost in, 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 um, in, the, in the mist, so to speak. But buying back stock, I get that it juices EPS, but also remember you're taking cash off the balance sheet. So from a financial engineering standpoint, you're trading X for Y, and it's not as automatically beneficial right. as, as it might otherwise be. But uh, I, as a general rule, I think companies should be buying back stock and paying dividends as much as they possibly can. So if I said to you, if I said to you, uh, Meta bought back stock at three hundred and four dollars a share, and now the stock's one hundred and thirty-three, <laughs> was that obviously it's hindsight? We don't know that's going to happen. But like, wouldn't it be so much better to initiate a buyback now? Or you could take the other side and you could say, well, think about how much worse the share price would be if they still had that 6% of more shares outstanding. I don't think that second argument really holds up, but what do you think? No, well, uh, listen, I I have to dig, but I think um, Facebook generates an enormous amount of free, I mean, all all those companies generate an enormous amount of free cash flow. You don't want them playing stock market any more than you want the treasury playing uh, treasury market by ramping up or ramping down issuance at at a whim. Um, Listen, who knew, you know, getting back to an earlier conversation we had about the stock market being down 25%, there was- Well, Facebook's down way more than the stock market too. Yeah, sure. then there's PayPal and a whole bunch of all other right, companies. CSX beat on the top of the bottom line. I've got 10 minutes. So let's get to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> get, all right. get to what? We'll, Whatever we're going to get to. Yeah. Uh, actually, we're, we're coming into the home stretch. Did you have fun so far, Dan? On a scale of six to seven, this is a seven. This is a, a solid go. seven for it's us? a strong seven. All right. We appreciate that. No, in all seriousness, this is great. I I, I don't know what took me so long, but- um, well, We're really glad to have you. I want to finish with something uh, David Einhorn said in his letter, which just, I think it came out today, his green light letter. Wanted to hear what you thought about that. He's uh, he's having a great year. I think he's up 18% year to date, which almost nobody else is. Um, a lot of humility. Like I just got back everything that I underperformed going back to 2018. I still have a lot more work to do. Fine. Uh, this is him. Other than Twitter, which was a huge home run for them. I guess they bought it expecting the deal to close. 
Uh, we did not add any new material positions during the quarter. We continue to be positioned bearish as we believe we're in a bear market. This differs from a correction in that a bear market takes time and is persistent. In a correction, buy the dip gets promptly rewarded. In a bear market, not so much. We haven't had a bear market since 08, 09. Not Our true. strategy is to remain position bear. Um, I think he's right. I think it's a bear market. I, like this Correction behavior, maybe it rewards you from one day to the next. But overall, this like knee jerk by the dip, it's, it's losing but this year. But I don't year. think – well, first of all, about Twitter, there were a lot of hedge funds that were just betting that the – when you go through the legalese, yeah, yeah. he's going to lose. Yeah, um, and he's what, what ends up happening is not that necessarily you're forced to buy the company, but but maybe he has to pay a fee. Yeah, I or, think Icon did the trade. He said that on the conference call. Did. Elon said, "I think everyone knows we're overpaying for Twitter." He said yeah, that yeah. on Tesla's conference. Um, but but tw Twitter aside, the bear uh, market commentary notwithstanding, are people I think. buying the dip? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I listen. I think to something you mentioned earlier, and I don't think we expanded on Michael was like we've seen weakness in housing clearly. And by the way, I don't know if people are aware of this. In the middle, in the summer, this, the price of an existing home was up 50% or so from, mm. from pre-COVID levels. Crazy. At no point in the housing bubble in the, in the aughts was there a similar rate of change. Over the same period of time, housing was never, and there was a much more prolonged and persistent rise in prices. But the rapidity of the change in prices is incredible. Yeah, it's and, breathtaking. And it's yeah. breathtaking. Yeah. So, so anyway, so so we've seen weakness in housing, but you haven't, only now the ISM is starting to dip below 50. Mm -hmm. You obviously haven't seen meaningful weakness in the labor market. So in terms of buy the dip, the, the argument I've been making publicly and privately for, for several months now is, so when those other items start to turn, I mean, you've got ISM new orders sub 50, but the index itself is still north. When you start to see those things turn, is the market going to rally on that when you start making the new leg Maybe lower initially. in the economy? I don't know. It, if we pull up my final chart, and then we'll let you catch your flight to. That uh, is the question. What to, is the market going to do the when last flight to Arkansas? What is the literally? What is the market going to do when the data turns? Is 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 the unknown? Yeah, initially I mean, it's going to rally because it's going to say the Fed is done. And that's right. And then it's going to go. Oh shit! Oh, they slowing down. So right. earlier this year in the leverage loan market, uh, the leverage loan market. Yeah, we got we got this up. I'll get to this in one second. Uh, I have so many points to make. The leverage loan market uh, is is variable rate, so it benefits when rates go up. And to start the year, people in the leverage loan market were like, oh. Great, higher interest rates. Right. And then somewhere in like the second quarter, everyone was like, oh, yeah. higher interest rates. It's, there's a turn. And I yes. think to that point, like, oh, great, the data is getting weaker. The Fed's going to pause. And then suddenly people are going to realize what that means. What this chart is, is uh, a rate of change in the federal, federal funds rate in black. And this goes back, call it 30, 40 years. The 18-month uh, uh, change in the federal funds rate pushed forward and the IS index, ISM index in blue on the right scale. And what you've seen historically, it's not 100% uh, accurate or, or, or linked. And obviously, post-GFC, there's some weakness in the data because the Fed funds rate was zero. But what this is telling me is that you've got meaningful weakness ahead in the ISM index over the next couple of months. When that happens, the ISM is sort of the gold standard for, for Wall Street strategists when you talk about earnings right. in the economy. And if you're going to have an ISM dipping below 50 into the mid-40s, I'm going to start pulling down my EPS estimates. I'm going to start pulling down my economic projections. And that is not, to me, an environment that you want to be particularly exposed in the short term for, for stocks. So that's where, I, that's where I am. I expect worse just because how could, how could it not get worse? I just don't know how the market will react. So I don't know if the market will keep cheering a recession knowing the Fed's done. Once it rethinks, oh, my God, it's a recession. All right. Well, so. our last seminar for the day is we talk about our favorites. Well, actually, let me ask a question. What? Why, why can't you just leave and we keep going? <laughs> <laughs> 
The uh, audience. Will, does he have the off button or something? The audience would like that very much. I'm going to start. Um, By the way, Dan, this Green, is great. Dan Greenhouse, yeah. ladies Fantastic. and gentlemen. Right? Terrific. Am I right? I mean, I only, only an hour. Right? Terrific. Um, all right, New York sports. So I'm not a baseball fan, unfortunately. I used to be, but I, I, I broke up with the Yankees. I just, it's too boring for me. Uh, the Giants are five and one. I, I cannot actually believe it. Uh, and every the year, are an astonishing zero and one. Every year, my friends and I, as a joke, we buy, we make a reservation to the steakhouse wherever the Super Bowl is, and we make reservations to the hotels. And uh, really, as a joke, like okay. we do it every year. Uh, okay. But this is the year. No, it's not the year. But, but I'm having fun. I'm having a great time. And the Knicks, uh, I, I'm encouraged. What, you're you're a Knicks you're a Knicks guy, so I am a Yankee fan. Okay, and have been my Same. whole life. Jets, and I'm not a okay. huge football fan. I'm sort of I don't prefer. I'm shocked they're five and one. Yeah, and the Jets are four and two. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, and I'm a big Knicks yeah. fan. Dude, the uh, Jets beat Aaron Rodgers at Lambeau. Yeah, it might uh, be the best thing you to, could say as a Jets fan in ten years. Let's go to a game and a game. Oh, I like that idea. Can we expense it? Uh, sure. Mike's, I, Mike has good. Scenes. I have tickets. Okay, let's um, go. So, but but we look good. It's one game, but like the Grizzlies are very legit. And it's going to take time the, for our team to Knicks, gel, but we have a point guard. The Knicks have spent years recovering from bad. It's, it's a long hangover. And they are yeah. not, I mean, listen, they're not winning the championship, but this is We're a confident. solid playoff team. We're co- uh, play in. Got, I think yeah. you got a favorite for us. Any books, any TV shows, any movies. We always leave people with like a favorite thing that people have. People don't need me to tell them. Uh, although I will say. <laughs> oh, that being said. That although being I will said, say. Let's yeah, go to that yeah. part. Right, well, well, first of all, I'm staring at More Money Than God, Sebastian Malibu's Great book. book. Great book. Great book. If, if anyone out there has not read this book. This I agree. Is yeah, yeah. One of the best books of the last 10 years Absolutely. by far. Absolutely. I agree. Um, you want to feel old? That book's older than 10 years old. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. I, I, but I read it within yeah. the last 10 yeah. years. Anyway, what else? Um, I do. We. It, this is public knowledge. We had been. A, a, it doesn't matter. Um uh, we spend a good amount of time on content, so I, I can offer some some TV shows. Please. Um, if you like sci-fi and you've never seen The Expanse. Oh, Barry likes that. I can't watch it. Oh, bad taste. I wow. started it. I couldn't keep – is it like – does it get better? It's phenomenal. I only watched one episode. I'm like yeah, – Yeah, that's not good enough that. to make a decision on. John, you're, you're in? Yeah. You're in on The Expanse? Yeah. Duncan? What about you? I haven't seen this. What's mm-hmm. it on? You can watch them now on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Oh, that makes it easier. Where was it before? Sci-fi. Yes, I don't even know what channel that is. Who, who, right. Do you have linear to four ninety six? I don't know. Uh, what do you got? Uh, was it, oh, for just for pure fun, I listened to Norio Rubini on Joe and Tracy. That sounds hilarious. Uh, for fun, sounds so much. Honestly, fun. just I got to relay one thing. He's basically like, for the next twenty years, we're going to be working off yeah, this I saw some inflation headlines. thing. All right, come on. He said that. Fun. He said that in this crisis that's coming up now unfolding, you're getting the absolute best of the post-GFC deflation and debt bubble combined with the stagflation of the 70s and that they're morphing into this, like, chimerical creature that's going to be the worst disaster of all time. Listen. But wait. But, then the, but wait, there's more? The, well, the answer to it is to buy real estate in the Midwest up into Canada, and that's, like, how you're going to escape it somehow. Grand Rapids but, is recession But the way that he gets there is so serpentine and just artfully. And be- and he throws in, every, like, insurrection. And he has an accent. It's just, honestly. Do a lot of your investors, are they? He's, he's so good at what he does, uh, Noriel. Like, so much respect for just the craft of combining everything everyone's afraid of into one continuous yeah, but the fireball su- the suggestion of shit. That, Bye, that, Mike. We love you. The suggestion Sick that. <laughs> good luck. Why are you going to Arkansas? The bagels? What are you doing? Definitely not the bagels. 
Um, the suggestion that the solution to that is to buy land in the Midwest. It's amazing. You how just ma- have to listen no to No disrespect to Noriel, but how many people can realistically- No, he's like, you have to buy tips, gold, and like not live in Florida is the way, what <laughs> about way to survive. What about baked beans? Wasn't that Kiyosaki who said to buy baked beans? That I don't, that I don't, I didn't listen to. The Kawasaki, the jet ski? No, no, no. Uh, the, the. Kai, Robert Kai. Robert Kai yeah, no, yeah. yeah, that's, that's a step too far for me. I don't know who that is. He was, no, uh, uh, Rubini was Sorry. good. Rubini was, it's like an hour of just pure, like you are all going to die right now. You know, the, but the, the interesting thing about that is in the post GFC, that gave birth to to that cottage industry yeah. appears to have not really waned at all. No. And pre-GFC, it was largely so unfunded liabilities and so how are we going to pay for our debt? And it was this esoteric looming debt bomb. But like, you know, everyone sort of acknowledged that what post-GFC- Well, now the debt is- bi- So the argument is the debt now is even bigger than it was. Which is, which is true. Which is true. And we weren't worried about inflation in the post-GFC. Sure. We were worried about the opposite. Now- you have not only screaming high debt uh, levels, private, public, all over the world, plus you have the inflation thing that uh, the Fed's going to have to wreck the economy to, to solve. So that's the that's the. I'm not saying like I, what. Look at this. What up, dog? Had, so much fun. Thank you. Sit down. Thank you for having me. Sit down. Are you, you allowed Barry to do this? To replace all right. Michael. <laughs> all right. Where are you coming from? Uh, I'm coming from Jeremy Siegel and Jeremy Schwartz. Duncan, put more batteries in. <laughs> Let me he, say. He said something. He, I said, my, I would me? love you to get a, uh, I'd love you to sign this for my partner, Josh. They're going to uh, come on the show in November with you guys. Oh, uh, this is beautiful. Thank so, you very much. Dan, how the hell are you, I miss man? you so much, sir. How's it going? We were I telling was, big picture stories. I was. From way back when. And I was saying my first sort of, well, I wasn't Conference. saying, but I alluded, my first Real public anything was through Bookvar, right? Uh, and you let me write in on the o- blog. On the blog, that was like eighteen seventy, eighteen eighty. How old was he when you let him write? You haven't uh, let me write on the blog. Twelve. It was at his bar mitzvah. Yet. That was my bar mitzvah present. I haven't been able to write on the blog yet. You have your own blog. <laughs> That's no, not that true. Enough? You've I've had your posts. I think, I think you've you, you've republished Mo- my stuff multiple times. You were never like Josh here. Write something, and dude. Me, you had your own own thing, and all I would do is point to it. Uh, let, hold on a second. I'm going to interrupt because now that you're both in front of me, yeah. Let me indulge me for a second. We're recording this. This so. is fine. Okay. Indulge right. me for a second. I want to give you both Keep your flowers. I want to give you both your flowers and say, "Ooh, I I have known you both for many years." Right. What you have built here is really impressive. You, the master's in business program. Oh, I thought is, you were talking about this room. No. this the, room is really impressive. The, the bookcase. I'm ta- I assumed you built the bookcase. I know yeah. you're very handy. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it's just really to see Thank you, you guys Dan. doing so well is just so – We appreciate that. Thank and you. I, I, I don't, I, I don't want to say I love you both because I don't, but it's really just great to see. Um, we we tell appreciate us that. Which is your favorite child? That's the uh, pick your favorite. I would never. Um, he wouldn't I, dare. So no, so we you know we just keep doing our thing and we're happy to just keep planning. I mean, along. would you say? And I don't. I'm only half joking when I say this. Would you say that you have revolutionized the RIA industry through the constant? Oh, no. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what we've done. Uh, and and correct me if I'm wrong about this. First, since we launched this business not from an RIA, but from watching other people do it wrong, we emphasize, and this is why I always love Ray Dalio, we emphasize the figure out what you're doing wrong and learn from it and get better. So we've tried a lot of things that we've screwed up, and fortunately, we've been very iterative and and constantly improving. 
I think we made people aware of the fact that there's a different way to do it. So I don't think we revolutionized well, anything. When we, yeah, like if you think about the RAA business, think about the biggest firms, they were all built by personalities. Sure. Like uh, Rick Ken, Edelman, Ken Fisher. These right. are $200 billion firms now. Peter Malou. So we didn't, in, we, didn't, we didn't really invent any of that. We but, followed them and just took it in a different, a, a little more modern direction. I think we're like a little bit more Ben and Jerry's than those guys, though. Like, right. Like a little bit more that's, like— And that's because we're both oh, fat I, bastards who love dessert. That's oh, the big— <laughs> That's the big reason. Understandably so. No, right. it, it, we're just a little—I think I think uh, in the end, people want to do business with people they like and people they trust. And I think we've given people a lot of reason to like and trust us and— so, Thank so God. Stop and think about what, what we did that was so unusual. Oh, we, don't we, that, we don't have that much time. We, we launched, Why don't we have time? What is, what is there? We're cutting to commercial? No, okay. Where no, do you have to be? It's Barry. You have no idea where this yeah, is. We'll, <laughs> we'll be done by breakfast. <laughs> it's, we're, uh, our but, dinners that you, I, but uh, keep you never in came mind. to the dinners. Our dinners were like four hours long. I know. Right. But I've been to one or two. But there are 10 people. That's why. Eight people. Sarah eyes and taps out at the two hour mark. No, Sarah was Sarah was there on uh, <laughs> Wednesday. So there's still dinners that I haven't been invited in 10 years. Janos, Paul Krugman, it's a sure. rotating group of people. Does Michelle Meyer still go? Uh, she was there this week also. Oh, so, so all the old people go but me. I You didn't, you didn't hit Dan? See no, what happens when you go incognito for six when I years? Just, when I go to the buy side, when all of a sudden right, you don't get invited to these dinners anymore. But, but you know, our, our entire attitude was let's see if we can do this better than other people. And when we launched, we were nationwide with an office in New York. People had to know us and trust us. Otherwise, wait, I'm going to give you a million dollars and have never met you. This was pre-pandemic when that sure. was an SOP. Now it's— Well, that's the, the weirdest thing about us is most RIAs, it's like a guy at Merrill or UBS, and he says, you know what? My next contract is up. I'm not signing another one. I'm going to go do my own firm. Right. They look around the town they live in. They say, what's a mountain or a lake nearby? Okay, that's the name of the firm. <laughs> They have a, a a membership at the golf course or the Bryant marina. Park Capital. That's all their clients are like local. And they're like a big shot in their small sure. pond. And then if they're successful, they expand. And they expand outward. We were inside out. We were like, hey, there's a few of us. We're in New York. All our biggest clients are in Texas, California, Washington, D.C. Made no sense. Yeah, no one's ever right. done that. We did that in 20 uh, – we started – in, we started from in 13, but we were doing that in 2011, yeah. 10 years before the pandemic, doing 99% of our business over the computer. Virtual yeah. screen share, so I think that's FaceTime. The weirdest, that's the weirdest thing about us. But that's now become the norm. Right. So, we, well, we were built virtual. We were built for the cloud from the beginning because we had no choice. We Between my media footprint and now Josh's even bigger media footprint – our audience was nationwide. So, as they say about big footprint so size, doesn't right. matter, right? You know, the, the footprint size is not that important. Agreed. It, but but its reach, our reach was far. We punched far over our weight, and our weight is but, not uh, insubstantial. But but it, the whole thing would have collapsed had it been wholly reliant on Barry and I trying to figure out what to do for like. We have since staffed to like fifty four people. And we've got CFAs and CFPs and people who are experts in tax and trust in a state. There's a lot of expertise behind the scenes that people who are fans of the content or the blogs, that if if you're just relying on what we're doing, sure. public, it would never have worked. So it, it always had to be um, an ensemble. It would never have worked. It was just the two of us like – 
what do you think of interest rates this month? <laughs> yeah, like no, that's, that's not, and, and, that would not have gone very far. Full credit to both Josh and I guess to myself for recognizing. Full, full credit. That's full generous. credit. Really that's, brave of you to give yourself <laughs> credit. No, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say <laughs> both of us are smart enough to say, I don't know, Jack, about tax, but we have the bills who are tax experts. What do I know about financial, putting together a financial plan the way a true CFP expert? Uh, so we have built this really, really solid bench of people who all have a, a Wait, very are we, deep are expertise. Are we recruiting or what? Are we recruiting him now? No, I'm or? just kind of okay. You can't afford Pull my it's, spring and- uh, All right, wait, know. wait. All right. We're, we're, we are, we are going to wrap, but I want to thank you for popping in here. And uh, uh, Yeah, so if you cool. read the inscription, it's very lovely. What do you got from, for us? Uh, can, can we get a favorite from Barry? A oh, favorite yeah. A favorite book, movie, TV show, something right now to recommend? <sighs> so, wow, that's uh, – I'm in the middle of a couple of really interesting things. Can't be House of Dragon. Um the, in, the most interesting it? No, book it just, it's is, an obvious yeah, yeah it's like saying you love the Beatles the the price so good, of though. time the story of interest rates by Edward Chancellor you're not reading that I just interviewed him yesterday I read that and I reread Devil takes the hindmost which this guy writes the book publishes the book in 99 Devil takes the hindlight the the hindmost about speculation and now his book on interest rates comes out this year like talk about auspicious timing what's the conclusion of the book um uh, Rates are important. And in fact, <laughs> rates, interest rates are the single most important financial number that has ever existed or will ever exist. I think that's entirely accurate. There's, there's the original- it's gravity. The, that's right. gravity. The, the yeah. original interest rate book, uh, Homer something I'm blanking on. Yeah, yeah, Scylla. Richard Scylla. That's right. Or whatever. The History of Interest 5, Rates. 5,000. History of Interest Rates. Essential reading. It's, um, I mean, but I, that's a tome. You can't like, oh, that's read a, it. It's a dictionary. You can't like, no, read it. No, if it's, you put it on your shelf and you refer to it when you need it. But. I met him. He's in, he's active with the you know there's a museum of finance yeah doesn't he run York. it so I met him somebody introduced me to him at an event I did here he was here that was here yeah okay Richard Siller I have it's the book on my shelf the book is this times bigger. two right it's much bigger it's a thing it's a thing it's a whole thing do um, do it before we let you go we like I'm right no no you're Ra wrap it now. up take us out uh, we, we, we want to thank our sponsors <laughs> Schick. Um, do you, do you pop into, uh, should I be flattered that you came in here? Is this normal? Never. It's first time. I, so, first time. so my schedule is usually Tuesday, Wednesday, and they record Thursday, but sometimes I'm in on Thursdays. Well, look at what I didn't lucky... want to interrupt. Oh, and the other thing is the other, not a, not book, but, uh, streaming. The third season of Orville is really good. Oh, with, that's the guy from family guy. Yeah. It's, uh, McFarlane. It, it's surprisingly good. Josh told me you Go like the Expanse. Watch the... Yeah, you like the Expanse, right? Wasn't that you? Oh my God! It's the Expanse yeah. was my two favorite things from the lockdown was the Expanse, yeah, and Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon. The first season is... of Altered Carbon is exceptional. Can I tell you something? The second season holds up surprisingly well. People told me it wasn't good. I didn't watch oh, it. Oh no, it's to I I'm a junkie, so I'm down that rabbit hole, and I'm really. Kidding. I moved right on to Briggerton. So um, that was fun. That, oh, both seasons were, okay. were fun. Uh, that's, I need a new show. I, I, oh, I shouldn't, I'm watching the Elizabeth Holmes thing, The Dropout. That's good. See, really? I, I finally got that. to that. I can't. I, I want to watch that in the WeWork one. The WeWork one was the interesting. The WeWork one is fun. was really interesting. It's not a straight biography. They I watch anything with Jared Leto. It's real. That's a, that's a lot. That one's a lot of fun. I, I actually tagged Galloway and say, who did, who's the guy who they got you to play play you? He's terrible. He's half your height. He looks nothing <laughs> like you other than the fact he's got no hair. Uh, wait, what are we doing? I was just telling you to remember to talk about your shirt before we get out of here. Oh, well, so these we have these up already. We teased these, and they weren't available, but now they are. 
So this is the official Jerome Corleone uh, <laughs> shirt. It's available at idonshop.com. A lot of people on my Instagram were like, where do you get that? We finally got them up. They are. We sold a lot of them already, right? We have. Yeah. But they're limited edition. We're going to stop. And the proceeds go where? To, uh, to us. Straight no. to Jerome Powell. Yeah, no. This is not like a... Wait, a I'm getting paid for this, right? What's that? Exactly. You're getting paid in shirts. Uh, all right. Is, is this a boys' medium? <laughs> it is. Okay. All right. Let's 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 wrap here. Our thanks to Barry Ritholtz, Nicole who kills it every week, John who kills it every week. Round of applause for Duncan and the legendary, now back out of the shadows in the public eye, Dan Greenhouse. Thank you so much for being here today. I hope you had the best time. We had a great it was time. Great. With you. Thank you. And Michael had so much fun. He had to like literally run out the door. He just couldn't contain it. Scared but, him. No, we had a great time. Thank you for joining us. And guys, we will be back next week. Thanks for listening. Make sure to leave us a rating, a review. It goes a long way. We love you. We'll talk soon. All right, take us out. Let's go to Arkansas. Was that, was that everything that you thought it would be? It was fun. I mean,